Well, good morning again. So, so as I say, we're, we're in our final week of Hot Topics 2. Um, so, so this series, we've been kind of looking at hot topics, uh, things that are prevalent in the world today, things that we've got to deal with as Christians. And, and as I've said each and every week, that as we discuss these hot topics, if your opinion or your belief does not align with what God's Word says, then we need to change our opinion or our belief. We can't expect God's Word to change and take what we think to be right. We need to go back and do what God's Word calls us to do. And in some cases, it may be hard because we've grown up with maybe a wrong understanding of something. So I just want to encourage you as we finish this series today, I'm actually thinking that I might have to do this series once a year. Because, you know, we, we did hot topics back in February, and then a lot of people asked about it. Y'all actually picked these four hot topics that we've been talking about. Um, so we might have to make this a yearly thing to where we talk about actual hot topics. So today is, uh, it's a phrase that we've heard, many of us has probably used. It's called, hate the sin, love the sinner. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us have, have used this saying, um, just so you know, it's not in the Bible, okay? Nowhere in the Bible does God or Jesus say, hate the sin, love the sinner. Now, that might be a shock to you. Oh, you mean that's not in God's Word? No, it's not. It's not in the... Now, the concept we see throughout Scripture, you know, we know we're not supposed to like sin, we're supposed to love people, you know? Love your neighbor, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, we don't love ourselves, so we have a hard time loving our neighbor. You know, or, or we allow our own sin to get in our way. And so as I kind of looked through the closest set of scripture I found, we actually used back in week one of Hot Topics 2, at least part of it. And it's in the book of Jude, it's, it's verses 22 and 23, it actually says this, have mercy on those who waver, okay, have mercy on those who waver, save others by snatching them from the fire, have mercy on others but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So, if we're to have mercy on those who waver, that would be kind of like love the sinner, right? Kind of makes sense. But, but then if we want to hate, hating even the garment defiled by flesh, that would be kind of like hate the sin, right? We, we hate the sin. We hate what the sin's done. We, we love the sinner. Sounds good, right? Yeah, kind of a stretch. Yeah, I kind of think the same thing. Because it's so hard because, you know, it's something. But pastor, that's what we're called to do. We're called to hate the sin. We're, we're called to love the sinner. And, and that's the motto of all Christians, right? Correct? Come on, y'all don't be quiet on me today. I'll start calling you by name. Whoa, all of a sudden that changed it, huh? So, now, now, it's a nice Christian thing to say, right? Do you know where the saying came from? It's actually attributed to Gandhi's autobiography. What? The Christian motto, what we say all the time, actually is a is Gandhi? He was a Christian, right? No. But, but we use that as our motto. 
The other thing is there is an author and a pastor by the name of Adam Hamilton who uses the phrase a lot, and that's kind of how we get into Christianity. And like I said, I think a lot of us have used it. I think a lot of us have used it for the wrong reason. And let me explain it this way. Man, I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. And we all know that person who's got sin. And we know we got to, you know, I just want to let you know I love you, but. You know when the but gets in the way? I love you, but I hate this sin that you're doing. And we start becoming judgmental against the person. So we kind of use it as our own little, oh, I love you, but. That's a way to dig at someone or point their sin out to them and become judgy to them. And we do this both to Christians and to non-Christians. And then some of us just use it as a cop-out. Well, you know, I got to love the sinner. I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. And it's that cop-out, especially in today's world where, you know, everything that happens is, is blatant out in the open. But we'll use that cop-out. Well, you know, Pastor, I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. And we'll just use it in ways that it actually shouldn't be used. And ultimately, I think as, as we say that, i got to ask the question. Can you honestly hate the sin and love the sinner like Jesus? That's a tough one. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I do hate the sin, but I love the sinner. And, 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 and Pastor, you've even said it, you know, your sister lives an alternate lifestyle and you love your sister. Yes, I do. But, I use that but when I talk to her. Hey, I love you, but your lifestyle is wrong. <laughs> you know, so I do use it that same way. But then the question comes, okay, Pastor, I know I got to hate the sin, love the sinner, and I can say that I love the sinner. And what if the sinner's sin hurt you? That's a whole different ballgame, right? Wait a minute. You mean their sin hurt me, so it personally affected me. It maybe crushed my life, maybe changed my life, did something to me, and now you're telling me I got to love them? Are you sure about that? Good thing it's not biblical, right? Good thing that, that saying is not in the Bible. But however, Jesus did love the sinner. Jesus hated sin. Jesus loved the sinner. God, I truly believe that God can perfectly love and hate a person at the same time. Think about that. God can perfectly love and hate a person at the same time. We can't. We're not God. There's no way that we can actually say that, that we love and hate someone at the same time. I think as humans, we're flawed. We can't do that. So what I think we need to do is because we're so quick to point out the sin of somebody else, that we need to start to understand and strive to be less tolerant of sin in your own life. Be less tolerant of sin in your own life and be more tolerant of imperfections in others. Because the reality is we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, but man, we can point out someone else's sin quick. It's so easy. And we kind of forget about our own sin because, oh, their sin's worse than mine. Whew, thank you. Man, I'm glad. Whew, man, I'm glad they're more of a sinner than I am. The reality is sin is sin. No matter what it is. Murder, adultery, guess what? 
Same level. Their sin is sin. We're the one who rate them and put, you know, oh, this is worse than this. Reality is sin is sin. And it separates us from the presence of God. So what I want to do today is I want to actually kind of look at how Jesus dealt with a sin and a sinner at the same time. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew. Um, But as always, it will be up here on the screen. And for those of you joining us for church online, it'll be on the side of the screen for you guys also. And hey, real quick, let's give it up for those joining us for church online. Hey, we appreciate you guys joining us for church online. Just so you know, it stopped raining before church started, so you could have been here. Just joking. Just joking. But anyways, hey, we appreciate that you guys are with us. I know there's people who join us for church online that there's no way they could physically come to this church. There's no way they could get here either because of medical issues or the fact that they may live in Canada or Jamaica or someplace else. Okay, we appreciate you guys joining us. And as I always say, make sure you stay connected to the local body of Christ someplace. We would love for y'all to come and join us in the house. And remember, we're doing a cookout next week. So if you decide to stay home in your pajamas today, wear your pajamas to church next week, and you can join us for the church cookout. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11 say this. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, command, uh, the, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? No one has condemned you? No one, Lord, he answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin any more. So kind of, you know, give you some backstory here. At this time in the Gospel of John, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles had just ended. So there's huge crowds still in Jerusalem. They came in for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's early in the morning. Jesus is where he should be early in the morning. He's at the temple. He's preaching. People are gathered around him. He's listening. And then we get the scribes and the Pharisees. We see this group of men come barging through the crowd and and dragging this woman with them. And let's picture this. Imagine being this woman. She's being dragged into the temple court. She's being dragged into the temple by scribes and Pharisees. 
you figure her face had to be red from embarrassment, and, and then she's thrown in the middle of the crowd. You figure you probably couldn't tell if she's angry or scared, one of the two. And, and you got these scribes and these Pharisees just coming up, accusing her of adultery. Actually saying she was caught in the middle, committing adultery. We, we see what they're saying, and, and they're saying that she's caught in the act of it. And unfortunately, kind of like this same thing, I think in today's society we get caught up the same way. We get so caught up with sexual sin and the sin that's inside this world that, that we just get it thrown out in front of us all the time. And just as Jesus, he's in the temple, he's trying to teach what God's word says, and now he's got this disruption because of a group of people wanting to challenge him, wanting to test Jesus on what's going on. And I think, like I said, in society we deal with this same thing. Um, as we deal with people accused of different sexual sin. Um, and, and I think sometimes, especially once we get the push from society, maybe it's kind of hard to distinguish between the sin and being hard on the sin, or, or sometimes we're just way too soft on the sin. We, we kind of, well, I don't know. Well, you know, we got to love them and and we may go a little soft on the sin that's so blatant in the world today. And one thing that I actually did find interesting about this story is in some versions of the Bible, this part of Scripture is not in it. In some of the early manuscripts of the Bible, this story is not in it. Um, there's... Inside the revised edition of the Bible, it's actually a footnote in John chapter 8, kind of tells the story. In the uh, New English Bible, it's put as an addendum at the end of the book of John. Both the King James and CSB that I read actually do have the story in there, and I believe it's in the correct place. I believe this story truly is where it should be, but I think some of the early church people and and people decided not to put it in translations, thinking, man, it makes Jesus look easy on sin. It, 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 no, we, we can't have this easiness on sin. I think they totally miss what really happened. And, and that's where we're going to spend that time today. I don't think they really understood what God's grace really was. And in this story, we see God's grace. The same grace that we received, we see inside this story. Um, Bible scholar F.B. Myers actually said this, It is a terrible thing for a sinner to fall into the hands of his fellow sinners. Which is a reality. Because we as sinners, who sometimes think we're righteous, are very quick to start judging other sinners. We're really quick, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday, I read God's word every day, I'm able to judge your sin. Well, guess what? No, you're not. We're able to call out the sin of another believer. The reality is, we'll try and call out sin of a non-believer, and then try and say, well, you know, according to God's word, what you're doing is sin. Here's the reality. If they don't believe God's word and they don't believe in Jesus, do you really think they care if it's called sin in here or not? No. So you're fighting this losing battle of 
Well, I'm going to tell the whole world and everyone, and, and I'm going to, you're a sinner, and, and you, you're going to go to hell, and I don't believe in hell. Okay. What you going to tell me next? It's a reality that we have to face. Now, as far as another believer, yes, we should bring it to them and be open and honest. But not all this judgy, judgy stuff, because we are very good at judging others. So the question would be, how do we respond when we're blatantly exposed to someone else's sin? When, when it's so blatant, we see it, you know, what are we supposed to do? Uh, how should we actually respond to it? And, and unfortunately, if you even look anywhere in the news today, us as Americans, man, we are fascinated about people's problems, other people's problems. Man, we will go above and beyond to dig into every detail of someone's life or something that we see on TV because it's fun, right? Man, just look at the news. Just scroll Facebook. You know, if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true. So as you scroll through it and, and between the Maui fires and, and Trump being um, taken into Fulton County, having to do a mug shot and... and Everything else going on, LBGTQ and whatever other letters they've added to it, everything out there, and, and it's all pushed in our face. It's so easy to choose sides, right? And it's so easy to go, man, look at that. I'm glad I'm not them people. It's like watching Jerry Springer and Maury put together. And, and we enjoy it because guess what? It's not me. My God, I'm so glad it's them and not me. And we'll watch it. We'll get enthralled in it. We'll just want to know everything about what's going on in this other person's life. Why? To make ourselves feel better. We will literally do it to feel better about ourselves so that our sin, you know, our little sin, doesn't feel so bad. It doesn't appear so bad because, man, have you seen these other people? Have you seen what they're going through? It's way too easy for sinners to bash sinners. And I actually like this. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, on this incident in, in John, he said this. The world is not divided into righteous and unrighteous people, but into sinners who admit that they are sinners and sinners who deny they are sinners. Think about that. The world is not divided into righteous and unrighteous people, but into sinners who admit that they are sinners and sinners who deny that they are sinners. Where do you find yourself? Do you admit that you're a sinner? And so I know I'm a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God and I need God's grace. Or do you stand over on this side? <clears throat> I'm not as bad as them. Kind of like the Pharisee. Thank God I'm not like the tax collector. Now, unfortunately, I think we end up on both sides of this. There's times we're over here and our own personal righteousness has us stand there looking down on others. But man, then there's times that we know, man, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I fall so short of your glory. I just need you in my life. 
we fall at both ends of this spectrum in, in life itself. And the problem is we fall at both ends. So there's times we are the righteous and there's times that we are the unrighteous. And understand that usually when you're very righteous, it's because your sin hasn't been discovered yet. It's not out in the open. People don't know about it. You know about it. God knows about it, but no one else has figured it out yet. No one else has figured out that, that you're, you're sneaking alcohol, you know, you're getting drunk every night, but you're, you're, you're a good drunk, you know, you're a functioning alcoholic. Or maybe you, you're shooting up every day before you go to class or before you go to work because it's the only way you can function. Or, or maybe it's, you know, you're going to websites that you shouldn't be going to, and instead of blocking it, you've got it there. See, the reality is we've all got some type of sin, but not everybody knows about it. And when no one knows about our sin, we can act like we're that righteous person. We can act like we've got everything together and look down on other sinners, when in reality, we're right there. Every one of us is unrighteous. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. So back to the story. <laughs> Sorry, sidebar. Um, I think in this story, the first thing we need to realize is that these religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees that brought this woman in, really did not care about the woman. They didn't care about her sin. They didn't care about what was going to happen to her. All they cared about is they wanted to entrap Jesus. They wanted to get Jesus so that they could get him in trouble, either get him for blasphemy, get him in trouble with Rome. It, it seemed like a no-win situation. The reality is, when, when Jesus was asked, if he said no, she shouldn't be stoned, he was going to lose. If he said yes, she should be stoned, he was going to lose the battle. No matter what he did, if he said no, he violated the law of Moses. If he said yes, you need to kill him, he actually violated Roman law. Because Roman law forbid a Jew from calling for someone to be killed. So whichever way he went, he was kind of, it, it was a, he was in, almost entrapped into this. And, and I think, you know, what they said is now Moses, in the law, commanded us as such should be stoned, but what do you say? So they tried to throw it out there and get him that way to, to get him because, you know, no good rabbi would ever say the law of Moses is wrong. So they try to entrap him in this, and just a good quick question for all the biblical scholars in the room. As they're quoting Deuteronomy, is that actually what the law of Moses says? That they should be stoned? Well, the law of Moses does say that they should be killed, but it doesn't say how they should be killed. So it's kind of a yes and a no. Another puzzling aspect of this whole thing, and every time I read it, I just kind of chuckle, because last time I checked, doesn't it take two to commit adultery? You know, it takes two to tango, right? So where's the man? So it's interesting. So they pull in this woman. They, they pull her in. They pull her in front of Jesus. Well, where's the man? Where is the man in this situation? He, he's nowhere to be found. Um, he's nowhere to be seen, so that kind of tells you to really trying to just entrap him in it. But I do want to say, give some background. So at this time in Judaism, 
it was not adultery. Well, adultery was considered a married woman having sex outside the house with somebody else. Now, the flip side of this was a married Jewish man, if he went outside of his house to have relations with a woman and she was not married, it was not considered adultery. Sounds like a double standard, isn't it? So if the woman was married, it was adultery. If the woman wasn't married, it wasn't adultery. That's just kind of crazy, isn't it? That's a real double standard that, I'm sorry, adultery is adultery, but you know, you got to make up rules so that you can break rules, but not really break the rule, right? So the more rules you add, well, I broke this little one, but I didn't break one of the Ten Commandments. You know, I, I did this other stuff instead. So ultimately, the woman is guilty. Whether the man is there or not, the woman is guilty of adultery. She absolutely no question. But see, here's the problem. I think there's three things that are a problem here. The first one is the life of the woman. Depending on the decision that's made, this woman could actually lose her life. The, the second thing is the reputation of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's got compassion. So his reputation. And third, the position of the law of Moses. Does the law of Moses still apply? So I think as you look through this and, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, it's where do, what is Jesus going to do? How, how's he going to get through this? They're trying to entrap him. Um, you know, Deuteronomy 22 said that the couple should actually be, be put to death. Where should Jesus go? Where's he going to take this step? So ultimately, I think as this whole entrapment, you know, if, if he said to Stoner, he'd be ruin his own reputation. If he said not to Stoner, he'd be accused of undermining the Old Testament law and they'd get him for blasphemy. If he let the woman go, he'd be too easy on sin. If he gave permission, he's against the Roman law. So all of these different things, and ultimately you think about it, Jesus could have been rigidly holy. He could have simply said, this is what the law says. Do what you all say the law says without actually giving the command. Instead, Jesus chose grace. Jesus chose to give this woman grace amidst what she was going through. And Jesus' response, I think it actually, it's for years and years it's baffled me. But as Jesus is doing this and the accusers, they come up, they accuse her, and Jesus stoops down and starts playing in the sand, writing in the sand. It's totally for years and years, it's just amazed me. And some people say he did this kind of to buy some time. Others say he did this to give them a chance to, to kind of think about what they were saying or what they were doing. But, but we know that the scribes and the Pharisees weren't having any of it. They, they just continued and they persisted in questioning him. They weren't going to let it go. Basically, like, Jesus, we need an answer. This woman was caught in adultery. What are we going to do? According to Moses, we're supposed to stone her. You tell us what we're supposed to do. He, he, he doesn't, they're just so enthralled on, we've got to get them. And then I like Jesus' answer. He stands up, 
the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. I just think it's hilarious, the answer that he come up with. Lily leaves them stunned. They're literally speechless. They say nothing else after this. There's nothing else said by the scribes or the Pharisees. And you see, Jesus doesn't deny the guilt of the woman. He didn't deny the guilt. He upholds the law. Adultery is a sin. But Jesus sees the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees that brought this woman in. And basically, he's telling them, hey, before you pick up that stone, before you pick up a stone and do what the law calls you to do, I want to ask you, are you morally qualified to stone this woman? Can you morally, without sin, throw a stone at this woman? He challenged the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees at that very moment on what they were going to do. And then ultimately, what did he do? He stooped back down and started writing in the sand again. Now, like I said, it's puzzled me for years what was written down. And so I've done a whole bunch of research. I've dug in, and I'm going to give you the theological answer to what Jesus was writing on the ground. You ready? You ready for the answer? I don't know. I don't know the answer, and guess what? No one else does either. No one knows what he was actually writing. Now, there are many assumptions of what he was doing. Some will say that, you know, he was maybe writing the Ten Commandments on the ground. Others, which is my personal opinion and my personal belief, that as he was on the ground, he wrote, you know, John. And then next to John, he wrote adultery. Then he wrote Sam. And next to Sam, he wrote pornography. Well, whatever it was, he was writing the person's name of the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that were there and writing their sin. So now when you look down, and, oh, I can't throw a stone. And they started to leave. Now, others say that he was maybe writing the name of their girlfriend. Now, I think that's pretty interesting. If, wait, you're bringing this woman in for adultery, but John... <laughs> girlfriend's name you want to talk about i'm out i'm done you know what he actually wrote we don't know but we do know that it made them leave it made them leave it says when they heard this they left one by one starting with the older only he was left with the woman at the center gotta admit i don't know if it was the words of jesus or what he was writing in the ground before they came to their senses right and I think sometimes we need that same thing. We need Jesus to remind us whatever he is writing in the ground to write into our own hearts so, so that we don't just pull people up trying to say, oh, look at this sinner. Because the reality is we're in the same boat. And, and we need that same reminder that Jesus gave these scribes and Pharisees with whatever he wrote in the ground that made them get up and leave made them realize that they morally were not able to judge someone else's sin because they were sinners themselves. And we need to understand that same thing. We then see this woman. I find it interesting. Everyone's leaving, and she stayed there. She had a chance to leave with the crowd and be gone. Jesus was still writing on the ground. All of a sudden, Jesus looks up, and here, the only one left is the woman. 
she got her chance for that one-on-one with Jesus. Every one of us in this life are going to get that chance for that one-on-one with Jesus. You're either going to get it here in life, or you're going to get it on judgment day. Either part of your life, you're going to turn around, you're going to meet Jesus, you're going to accept him as your Lord and Savior, or you're going to meet him on judgment day when you stand in front of him to be judged. Every one of us at some point are going to be standing one-on-one with Jesus. The question is, what are you going to do? Now, it doesn't say that this lady was repentant. It doesn't say that she repented. I'm sorry, nothing like that. But I think her actions speak louder than her words. She had a chance to run away. She had a chance to go hide, had a chance to go back to continuing her life, but she chose to stay there with Jesus. She chose to stay there and listen to what Jesus had to say. Now, I think it's interesting what Jesus did. There's three things Jesus did after this, and I think every one of us can apply this in our own lives when we're dealing with a sinner. When we're dealing with a sinner in our life and it's blatant or whatever it may be, the first thing is Jesus did confront her. Jesus confronted her and actually said, when Jesus stood up, he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, of course, it's funny because, you know, this whole woman sounds condescending, right? Every time I say that to Patty, I, woman, she goes, Jesus? <laughs> and I kind of laugh, no, Jesus ain't here, but I am your husband. And I just think it's funny because you think about it when you say woman, it sounds condescending. Well, let me give you a little backstory. In modern English, it does sound like it's unkind, but in biblical times, it was actually very respectful. Jesus used the word woman, the same, the same uh, word, three times. He used it here and two other times in the Gospel of John, both times when he's talking to his mother. And as he's talking to his mother, he calls her woman, and the reality is the actual equivalent term to woman is lady. It was that term of honor given to someone. So it's not this derogatory woman. It was actually, he was praising her as a lady, someone of high standard. Now, this is someone who was just caught in the act of adultery. She was committing adultery when they dragged her out. This mob scene drags her out, and Jesus, because she stays there, she's accepting her punishment changes her from adulteress to woman or lady, gives her the respect. He confronts her for her sin because she did, in fact, sin, but he respects her at the same time. And I think a lot of times what happens to us, and I've said it before, is when it happens, we want to look down on somebody, when in reality, if you look at Jesus, anyone who Jesus came in contact with, he placed them above himself. Now, this is God. God, the creator of the universe, creator of the world, put people above himself to act and be a servant. We need to take that same attribute attribute and that same way of thinking whenever we come in contact with somebody. Put them at a higher than we are. Not a higher standard, but a higher level and treat them with the same respect that Jesus treated others. And that's what we see. He 
He called her out for her sin, but still treated her with respect. You didn't see he forgave her. He said, no one had condemned her. He said, neither do I condemn you. So the reality, the only one on the earth who was qualified to pick up the first stone and throw it at her, instead didn't condemn her. He was the one who actually could have stoned her, picked up the stone, started the melee, had her killed, and he chose grace over anything else. Some suggest that Jesus in this time, he actually kind of used the law to his advantage because it said there had to be two or three witnesses, and because it was just him and her alone, he really couldn't condemn her. Well, Jesus is above the law. I think Jesus showed his love and grace and and actually showed mercy towards this lady and, and forgave her for her sins. And I think he forgave her on the basis of he knew he was going to the cross. He knew what he was going to be doing and that him going to the cross would forgive, bring that forgiveness of sins to everybody. So he gave it to her early. And then you notice he challenged her. Go and sin no more. So he, he can. He confronted her, he forgave her, and he challenged her. I think this statement brings, it's the end of the scripture, but, but I think it's really that choice that every one of us has. Go and sin no more. See, we, see we're able to go to Jesus and we're able to ask for this forgiveness. And, and then I think what happens is, Sometimes we get that forgiveness, and instead of go and sin no more, what do we do? We go right back where we were just at. We go right back to that same lifestyle, and we kind of go and do the same thing over and over again, and it feels like we're in this vicious circle. But man, I can ask Jesus for forgiveness. Ah, I'm forgiven. Now let me go back and hit my crack pipe again. I can't believe I did that. Jesus, forgive me. Oh, I'm forgiven. Oh, let me go get drunk. Man, I'm hungover. I need Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. Sound familiar? Sound like something some of us have done in the past? You know, we, we get this vicious circle. Well, guess what? Jesus is not a vending machine. It's not a mercy here. Put in a dollar and get free mercy. No. But that's what we think. The reality is when we encounter Jesus and he meets us where we're at, he meets us in that sinful flesh. He meets us at our lowest, and he says, go and sin no more. What are we supposed to do? Go and sin no more. Now, the fact is we're probably still going to sin, but hopefully it's not the same sin we were doing when we met Jesus. Hopefully we'll learn from that and move on from that and sin no more. We have that choice in our life, and the question is, what do we do with it? Jesus doesn't pardon sinners and leave them the way he found them. Jesus is not going to pardon you and leave you where he found you. You ask Jesus into your heart, he's going to start to change you from the inside out, and you should become this different person. So we need to understand that when our sins are forgiven, it is in order that we might be free and that we will actually live a different life. We need to be different than we were when we met Jesus. And what Jesus did for this woman, he can do for every one of us today, and he will do it for each of us. 
Every one of us can think back at a time in our life when Jesus did this same thing for us. He met us where we were at. He confronted us. He forgave us. And he commanded us to go forward and sin no more. He's done the same thing in our lives. How could we expect nothing less than that from Jesus, but yet we won't do the same thing for others? We will condemn them of their sin, and that's it. We're not going to forgive them. We're definitely not going to forget them. We're not going to forget what they did when their sin was against us. Why not be more like Jesus? That's what we're called to be, right? Now, it doesn't mean you're being lenient on sin. Call out sin is sin. Call it out. But then take those next steps. Be like Jesus. Actually forgive them sin. Forgive them. Command them to go forward and hopefully change your lifestyle. The best thing we can do for a sinner is introduce them to Jesus. Because the best thing that happened to you as a sinner was you met Jesus. And when you meet Jesus and he transforms your life, you're that new person, you're that new creation, you're able to start changing who you are and what you do only because of him. And the reality is, in this life, all of us, I think, see ourselves as different people in this story. I think some of us may see ourselves as the crowd. You, you know, the crowd, they were all there, they were in the temple, and the scribes, Pharisees come in, they got this woman, everyone's looking, yeah, because, you know, we're Americans, we want to see what's going on, right? It's like running to a car accident to see what happens, because everyone wants to see it. And, and then we're going to try and talk about it, figure out what happened. So, you know, this crowd's right there, and and, and here's what's amazing. The crowd saw what happened. They saw everything that was going on. They stood, they watched his miracle of forgiveness, they watched his mercy, but it didn't become part of it. They didn't take part in what was going on. They stayed on the outside. They saw what happened, but it didn't happen to them. Or maybe you're like the rulers, you're the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, they're also sinners, but because they failed to deal with their own sin, now they're trying to, to bring sin onto someone else and point out someone else's sin. And I think a lot of times we end up like that. We don't deal with the sin in our own life, so we'll just point out everyone else's to kind of deflect it. You know, uh, uh, they don't know my sin. Let's point out this one. Oh, someone's starting to figure out what I'm doing. <gasps> Did you know? Yeah, you know that, that Christian way we, we talk about each other? You need to pray for. Kathy, you need to pray for John. Let me tell you what John was doing. Okay? So I'm going to deflect from my own sin. I'm going to put it someplace else. So a lot of us are like those scribes and Pharisees. We do that same thing. We try and deflect it because we don't deal with ourselves. Um. And then we finally get the woman. The woman not only heard, but also received that good news of forgiveness. Now, I want to tell you, I don't want to be like a scribe or a Pharisee. But, exactly, but I do want to be like them in one way. I want to start dropping the rock. I want to start dropping that rock and not wanting to stone other people for their sin. I want to be open and honest enough to know that, hey, my heart's not always right. 
and I don't need to be judging and throwing stones at somebody else when I could be stoned myself. Because I'm also a sinner. I also fall short of the glory of God. And I want to be able to drop that stone and, and say, and then get that forgiveness from Jesus. You know, not walk away like they did, but drop that stone and walk to him. Walk to him and accept that grace, that mercy, and that forgiveness that only Jesus can give to any of us. But I think we all need to be more like Jesus. I said at the beginning, and you see it here, God or Jesus can perfectly love and hate a person at the same time. We can't. We can, no matter how much we try, we can't do that. And we need to honestly strive to be less tolerant of sin in our own lives and be more tolerant of the sin in other people's lives. Because <clears throat> ultimately, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's not one perfect person in this room joining us for church online. The only perfect person ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ himself. And none of us have scars in our wrists. None of us have scars in our feet for what he did for us. And you may be sitting here saying, man, pastor, I'm that adulterous woman. Man, I'm living in sin. I'm living in sin, and I know someday someone's going to call me out for it. And, and you know, I, I, I know Jesus won't accept me because my sin's worse than that adulterous woman. Well, I want to let you know that God loves you just the way you are. God will meet you right where you're at. He met this adulterous woman right where she was at. He didn't stone her. And he had the chance. He could have been the only one to pick up that stone. Instead, he confronted her. He forgave her. And he gave her a command to go and sin no more. That's the same thing he does for each one of us. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. So guess what? You can look to the person to you left or right, and guess what? They're a sinner just like you. They're a sinner just like you. So you're among great company because we're all messed up, we're all jacked up, but we're all loved by our Savior. And God's Word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. See, that's where it starts. That's where that relationship starts and you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and, and as you got that final moment, you're finally standing there with Jesus. And you accept him as your Lord. You accept him as the Savior of your life. And you get the same grace, that same forgiveness, that same love that he gave this adulterous woman. You get it today. And guess what? You're still messed up. You're still jacked up. Your life still ain't going the way you, you want it to go. Well, that's okay. It's a start. When you accept Jesus to be the Lord of your life, he starts to change you from the inside out. And as he's changing you from the inside out, that sin that is in your life will become prevalent, that you will want to confess that sin and get away from it. You will want to go and sin no more. You will want to take those next steps. And it starts with that relationship, making Jesus the Lord of your life. Be the difference 
in your world. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and saying, Pastor, man, I, I'm, I'm that scribe and Pharisee. Man, I'm not home during the day, but, but I actually record Jerry Springer just so I can laugh at people at night. Man, their sin is so fun to watch. I know I got my own sin, but no one knows about it. Well, guess what? God does. God knows about the sin in your life. You may think you're hiding it from the world. Mark me, there's going to be a day when the scribes and Pharisees are going to show up and drag you out of your house because of the sin in your life. And it's going to end up full-blown in front of everybody, and you're going to be stuck like that woman standing there being accused. Hopefully you accept the grace of Jesus at that time and do what he called you to do. But at the same time, we need to not be scribes and Pharisees. And when someone is sinning, love them. We may not love them perfectly, but we can still love the sinner and hate the sin in their life. Don't use that as a cop-out. Don't use it as a way to judge someone. Truly use it as being like Jesus. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Start with love. Start with love. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come today and we thank you. We thank you for everything you do in our life. And, and Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, there's so many times we'll read through your word and we may just skip right past it. And we totally miss what's going on. But Lord, I think all of us, as I said, are sometimes different people in this story. So Lord, I ask that you open our eyes so that we may see where we are. But more importantly, Lord, that we will see where you want us to be that we will take those steps to move from being that sinner to being a saint. And Lord, we know we'll never be perfect, but we can strive to be perfect. And Lord, may our perfection never be used to point down somebody else. But as we become more like you, that we will act and treat people the same way that you do. And Lord, that we will show the same love, mercy, and grace that we receive from you, that we will give it to others. And Lord, yes, sin is sin, and we're not going to say it's not sin. We're not going to not preach about sin. But Lord, we're not doing it to make ourselves feel better. We need to do it to bring about repentance. That we ourselves will turn from our sins with the hope that others will turn from theirs. And Lord, that you will be glorified through it all. And Lord, if there's no one here, if there's someone here who hasn't accepted you, Lord, Lord, I ask that, that after this final song, as everyone's leaving, Lord, that they'll swim upstream, that they'll come up here and see one of these prayer partners and, and accept you as their personal Lord and Savior today. And start that life change just like this adulterous woman started that life change. And Lord, if anyone in here needs prayer, Lord, that, that they'll also come forward and, and take time to have someone pray with them and for them. Because Lord, no one should leave your house needing prayer or needing you. And Lord, make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, thanks again for joining us here today at FBC Lantana for Church Online. And, and, and if, if you enjoyed what you saw today, I'd just like to ask you to go ahead, go to our website and, and help support this ministry as we try and outreach and reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And you can just go to our website, fbclantana.com slash give, um, and you can make an online donation right there. Again, I encourage you to get connected to a local church, and especially if during this message you felt compelled to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, definitely go tell somebody. Let someone know because that is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And, and from there, get connected to a local church. Hey, we would love to provide you with some resources with that. You can go to our website, fbclantana.com, and on the very front page, you say, give my life to Jesus. Click on there, and at the bottom of there, there's some links and some good information for you. And just wanted to say, welcome to the family.